Well, you never want to follow animals or children. So we'll just see how this goes, all right? I can't emphasize, I can't tell you enough, and I can't overemphasize the value of the books that our children are reading. In many cases, it means that moms and dads and other siblings are reading the books or hearing about them. Now, as you probably picked up from my wife there, she's an educator, you know. 18 years in the classroom, eight or nine years of homeschooling, and about 100 in Sunday school. Not really. You don't have to. That was a joke, right? She wouldn't think it was funny either, so that's fine, I guess. But she's been teaching Sunday school for a long time. And when we travel, we travel with books. It's always with books. We went to Gettysburg on this last vacation. We read a book about Gettysburg on the way there, you know. And so when we traveled, these books that they're reading, they went with us. And we read them in the car together. And so everyone heard them, you know. And so the, the reason why I'm just, I, I'm so big on the stories is that they have shaped and influenced my, my life and my journey. And, and because of that, they've also shaped and influenced um, the life of my children and my wife, you know. You have a junior high class, right? Thank you very much. Junior high, I should have dismissed them a moment ago. Junior high class, go with Mr. Todd, whoever's going to junior high class. There we go. And pick up connection cards, go that way. Thank you. I'm not sure that it was the first book I read when I got saved apart from the Bible or whether it was just the one that I remember the most as a teenager. But the title of it was Under the Shadow of the Almighty uh, by Elizabeth Elliot. It was the story of her husband who was killed as a missionary in Ecuador. This, this is the copy of that book from that summer of like 1978-79. And what shaped me about the, the book was not the story of his passing or his death or that he was a missionary in the jungles of Ecuador. It wasn't that at all. It was more this wholehearted zeal that he had about his walk with Christ and where it led him. Um, That he would pass on all... He went to Wheaton University and, and he would pass on all the things that was typical about college life because he felt like he had found something different and more important. And that was even within the Christian community. And, he always, and if you read his story, you'll read where he's wondering, things are different for me, I'm not sure why, <laughs> kind of. And yet, it was him who wrote the quote that you have heard, I'm sure. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It was that kind of thinking and writing that he was doing. It was another quote that he has. He says, oh, the fullness, the pleasure, the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. It, it was those kind of thoughts that he was writing in this book, in his journal, that he, he kept very detailed journal. It was that kind of stuff that, that grabbed my heart and my attention and began to shape it. 
and form my thinking about what I felt like it meant to follow Christ and what I thought it meant to be a disciple. There, there was another book that later on in um, the summer of 1991 that also shaped uh, my life and Betty's life and ultimately the life of our children. And really, it, it, it's shaping your life now because it's why I'm here in a very roundabout way and all. And it was this, this book here, um, From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya, A Biographical History of Christian Missions. The book is full of, of uh, short biographies of missionaries throughout history, beginning from the apostles all the way up to more recent names that you might recognize. And each, and each biography is maybe a page or two long, and it kind of pulls the highlights out. But it was in reading this book as a requirement for a class that I came across the story of, of that gentleman there, E. Stanley Jones. In 1938, Time magazine said that E. Stanley Jones was the um, world's greatest missionary evangelist, is what they said about him. And I'd never heard of him before. But in having to read this book as a requirement, you know, because I wasn't thinking about doing anything with it necessarily, I came across this story and his testimony of how he came to this place where he thought he was supposed to go and change the world. And God stopped him in his tracks and said, all I'm asking you to do is to tell others about your relationship with me. What I've done for you. That's all I'm asking you to do. And I can distinctly remember that day going in the house and telling Betty, is that, is that what he's asking us to do? Because if that's what this is about, then we can do that. And that week, we changed our major from one thing to missions. And it set us on a path of stepping out of her job. I quit my job. We went to school to pursue uh, a degree in missions from Dallas Seminary. All I, he, you know, that it was nothing that God was asking anyone to do. There was but just to go and talk about what he had done for me, what he had done for anyone. All those stories that our children are reading are stories of unremarkable people. They're stories of people who really, that's all they were trying to do, is figure out how to tell others about what God had done for them. Having to work through cultures, social norms, language barriers, all kinds of things, but trying to, to work figure out how to go through all that to be able just to share that story. They were unremarkable in the sense that they were not all especially gifted and they all didn't have advantages that would guarantee success or conversions. There were many, like Annie Soper and Gladys Allwell, who were told that they were failures and they should stay at home and leave that work to others who are better suited. I have a friend that um, I admire greatly and, and her, her testimony has affected me as well. This is my friend, um, this is, this is um, Eleanor Young. Eleanor lives up in Washington State. Um, as a child, she had polio. But somewhere along the way, God arrested her heart, and she ended up going to Irian Jaya. And if you, Irian Jaya is this island part here in Southeast Asia. You see Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia, and Irian Jaya is right here, part of Indonesia. Highly mountainous. Valleys, jungles, just, you know, inhospitable kind of terrain to a woman who doesn't have full use of her legs. 
And not only that, but she was going into the particular tribe that had just killed and cannibalized two of her friends. And so she went in there, and because she felt like she was compelled to not go and change the world, but to go and share what Christ had done for her. And so she went, and the people adopted her. And those little broken legs, they made a litter, and they would carry her along the mountain trails and over the bridges and through the valleys of that region. This is Eleanor today. For someone with such a broken body, there's more life and vigor and vision in her than you could shake a stick at. If you go back to Scripture, you find there's a stuttering shepherd who is a fugitive in Moses. He wasn't a gifted speaker. You find an unwed teenage mom in Mary, a prostitute in Rahab, an undeserved Gentile in Ruth, a fiery, quick-tempered fisherman in Peter, um, the man after God's own heart in David who was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, and a failure as a parent. When we read Scripture... And I'm afraid that too often we convince ourselves that God only uses people like them, these heroes of faith, because we perceive that they were something special, not because of who they were before God got hold of them and used them, because of what God did through them. Do you understand that? We we look at them in hindsight, not in foresight. For instance, we see our children here, and you see your children wherever they may be sitting in this room, and you don't look at them and go, That kid, one of these days, is going to go to India, like E. Stanley Jones, and be considered one of the foremost missionaries of his time. You're sitting there thinking, I hope they live through high school. (laughs) In each of these people that we've talked about in Scripture, the truth about them is that they were unremarkable people. At one time or another, they were sitting in a seat that you were sitting in, so to speak. Just being people. Just living their life, doing their job, making a wage, raising a family, dealing with crisis. That's who they were. They were nobodies. They were shepherds and fishermen, prostitutes, unnamed people that were unknown, of no reputation. They were just as ordinary and as ho-hum as you and I. And yet, this is what Scripture says about them. In James 5, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, what that statement says, Elijah, the one that we perceive as being of great faith, the one that has an, a large book written about what God did through him, he was just like you and I. Just like you and I. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This is in Acts about John and Peter, you know. And it says, and and this, now, they had observed the confidence of John and Peter and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Elijah was like us. Peter and John seemed uneducated and untrained. But people were amazed because they saw Jesus and what was happening. These books that our children are reading, 
um, that some of us have read highlight a principle that we all need to learn. That when we look at what happened in the lives of these men and in the lives of, of, you know, of these men and women and all the stories, that we're not seeing men and women that were uniquely gifted. We're not seeing men and women who had some kind of skills or wealth or some kind of advantage that you and I don't have. God didn't choose them because they had it all together, because they were trained or qualified or skilled. He chose them because they were broken and limited and weak and even afraid and questioning. In, in our study of experiencing God in the book, in day one, unit five, there is a quote that I really, really liked, and I have it highlighted, and, and so I wanted to use it today to just demonstrate how the study fits in to so many things that are happening in our church right now. The quote says this, it's on page 28, it says, that when you believe that nothing significant can happen through you, you've said more about your belief in God than you've declared about yourself. Read it again. When you believe, when you believe nothing significant can happen through you, you've said more about your belief in God than you've declared about yourself. Just like Mark Nichols tried to teach us last week, God wants to use each and every one of us. But not when you get it all together. Not when you've overcome all the sin in your life. Not when your health is back. Not when your broken heart's been healed. He wants to use you while you still have MS. He wants to use you when you've had false allegations made against you. He wants to use you while there's still infighting among your family or on your job site. He wants to use you while you still have terminal illness. He wants to use you while your mother, your father, is still fading away, not when they're gone. He wants to use you while you're still suffering. He wants to use the loneliness, the hurt, the brokenness of your heart. He wants to use that unending pain of losing a child a spouse, a brother, a parent. Because it's in those pools of pain and that suffering that he dips his finger into them and he pulls out beauty. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in our body the dying of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be made manifested in this body. While we have these stories that inspire us, 
There are so many more that have never been written down, that have never been recorded, that will never be retold in years to come because they were done by people like us. Just simple, ordinary people like you and I. And it's on our backs. It's in our faithfulness and our obedience that Christ is to make, be made known in our community. It's, it's, it's in the condition of your life as it is at this moment that he wants to use it. Not when you're well. Not when everything's fixed. Not when everything's good. It's now. That treasure in these earthen vessels, that earthen vessel is what you have right now. It's the body you have that doesn't work very well. It's the relationships you have that are broken and just seem hopeless. It is the family you have, the work job, the job you have. It's all of that. Right where you're at today. In all the complexities, all the complications, all that your situation is today is the very place that he wants to make himself known. It's the very condition, circumstance, that he wants to use. Why? Because folks look on our lives, and as much as we try and mask them and, 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 and cover them up, the fact is that people see us for who we are so much of the time. And in that brokenness, and in that hurt, and in that suffering, and in that pain, is when the surpassing greatness or the power of God would be made manifest so that the life of Jesus would be manifested in our body, in our circumstances. Not in perfection. He's the perfect one. He's the perfect one. We are the broken ones. We are to be making Christ known in our community. We can't wait for Moses to come to our home and to our workplace or to our neighborhood for that to happen. God has sent you there. He sent you to that home. He sent you to that neighborhood. He sent you to that classroom, to that workplace, to those bleachers where you sit and watch your kids, to that bus stop where you see your kids get on the bus every morning. He sent you there. You. Just you. With him in you. Acts 4, when we read the rest of the passage, says, When they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you, Rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. 
It is in your brokenness, in your pain, in your sorrow, in your suffering. It's in your very ordinariness. I know that's not a real word. It is where I come from. It is in the ho-humness of your life that he desires to use you just as you are. And in that place, in that circumstance, in that moment, he says to us that we cannot do anything but to continue to speak about what we've seen and heard about Jesus. That's what, that's what E. Stanley Jones came to the realization of. I'm not going there to change India. I'm going there to speak of what I've seen and heard of Jesus. He's not asking you to go and do something that you have to be qualified for other than knowing Jesus. We can be used in an extraordinary way Not because of us, but because we serve an extraordinary God who shines inside of us through our brokenness. That's why the stories that our children are reading are so important. That's why we need to be reading them. I'm I'm not, you probably don't know this yet, but let me just clue you in. I'm not real smart. I've never had an original bone in my body. I look at what has been done someplace else and mimic it. I need their stories. I need your stories for me to know what it looks like for God to shine out in my life. We need each other's stories. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for the Hudson Taylors, the Gladys Allwells, the Jim Elliots, Judson, just the myriad of names that have gone before us because their stories inspire us, because they were ordinary people like we are who did ordinary things and then chose to tell others who couldn't, they couldn't stop talking about Jesus. May we not wait for you to fix us to be used by you. May we not wait to be super skilled. May we not wait for someone else who's more skilled, who has a better story than us. May we step into that ourselves. And may we see ourselves as being the one that you have chosen to go into our family, to go into our neighborhood, to go into our workplace, to go into our classroom and be the one who is sent to be there. And not to change the world, but just to share about what Jesus has done, about what we've seen and heard about him. We thank you for the saints. We stand on their shoulders. We stand on the great achievements they've made. May someday others stand on our shoulders because of our faithfulness to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot, guys. Glad you're here. If you're our guest, we're really glad you're here with us today. And um, 
We'll see you next week for baptism service. All right? Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.